I have the great opportunity to introduce Pastor Dorian Wrigley, um, who has ministered here before. Many of you know him. His wife, Belinda, is the head of our worship ministry citywide, and just great friends, great brother in the Lord. Dorian sits on the Exco with Carol and Pastor Roger and Simon for the citywide uh, and Timber. And uh, Dorian is also one of the citywide elders. Dorian was sent up from Cape Town to plant the His People Church when we were planted in Joburg, and that's how we merged and became His People, thanks to Dorian. So we are now every nation as a result of a whole lot of, you know, those relationships that were built. And uh, Dorian just is an incredible man. He has an incredible mind for business. He is part of, um, let, me, let me actually just manage and direct of Mbono Capital, um, and he has an incredible understanding of the business world, but also an incredible understanding of the ministry world, and has a foot in both, and is well expressed in both. He develops business natural resources through Mbona. They manage assets to bring about transformation at a national level, which they're doing really well. He's the founder trustee of Leaders in Transformation. They also have an education and development trust, assisting underprivileged learners, giving them access to some of the country's best learning opportunities. And uh, his passion is to see God's kingdom in every area of society. He's also a dad of two incredible children, boy and girl. You've got a good blend there, my friend. So everyone say, God bless Pastor Dorian. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Andrew. It is such a privilege to be here. I love, I love spending time with this church because this church is so full of life and love. And when I look at you, I see people that just want to serve God with everything that is within them. Am, am I in the right place there? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And, uh, and as Pastor Carol was saying, you know, those, uh, those uh, cartoons we were forced to watch, we didn't really, no one needed to force us. In fact, Pastor Andrew and I had a pact in the first service. We said, we're going to go and watch cartoons together because our kids don't want to watch them anymore. And it's a real problem. Amen. <laughs> so folks, you've, we've been busy. Uh, when I say we, I know that you've been busy with a series called Good, Good Father, and we've been doing the series throughout the city. You know, we get together and we decide what we believe God wants us to hear as a church throughout the city. And um, Pastor Carol kicked it this off, I think, three weeks ago. She looked at the woman caught in the act of adultery and showed up because we have a good, good father, we are forgiven because there's no sin too big. And then Pastor Mike looked at the life of David last week. And he showed that because we serve a good, good father, we are whole because there's no wound too big. And today, I'm going to wrap up. I've got the privilege of wrapping up the series. And I'm going to be looking at what it means that because we serve a good, good father, we belong because there is no shame too big. And so what I want us to do this morning is that we're going to have a look at a passage of Scripture. And where I'm going with it, just so that you know, so that you can kind of have your, your, kind of your, your heart get in that direction, is this, I'm going to hopefully land in this place, that because we serve a good, good father... He creates good, good families. Families like this one. And good, good families are made up of good, good mothers, good, good fathers, good, good sons, and good, good daughters. And so we're going to end today by looking at what are the characteristics of a good, good family. But to get there, I believe God wants to take us through a passage of Scripture in Luke that we all know as the parable of the prodigal son. And so... Lord, we just pray that as we go through that scripture today, you will cement and seal in our hearts what it means to be part of a good, good family, serving a good, good God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So before we dive in, I want to set the context of the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Because it's something that we've all heard many times. Maybe even in Sunday school, we heard this parable so many times. And living where we live today in 2018 in South Africa, we have a sense of what that means. But I want to put this into the context of the day because we've lost a lot of the sense of what was understood by the audience when Jesus spoke way back 2,000 years ago. The audience, if you look at Luke 15 verse 1, you'll find two distinct different groups of people in the audience. The first group was a group of what the Pharisees would call the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners, those guys that kind of had walked away from the law those that were kind of only interested in kind of serving their own pleasures and their own hearts. And so the Pharisees really despised that group of people. And then, of course, there was the Pharisees themselves, and these were the religious elite. These were the guys that they were the ones that were respected in the community. They were the ones that on the outside certainly lived the law, understood the law, and never broke the law. But internally they were wicked. Internally they despised the other group of people. Internally, they were actually quite far from God. But on the outside, they thought that they were the elite and they treated others in that way. So now this is the group of people that Jesus is addressing. And he starts off in Luke 15 and he does three parables. And the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son is the third parable that he does. And so this is where I want us to dive in and start trying to get an understanding of the context and what was understood by the audience when Jesus told them this parable. And so Jesus continued, and he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. Now, friends, Jesus was a master communicator. He was an incredible storyteller. When he spoke, people hung on every single word that he said. Not just because he was a great orator, but because he presented truth in such a unique way that people were just flabbergasted each and every time now if you understand the culture the hebrew culture of the day this opening sentence would have blown these guys out of the water why because all of a sudden jesus introduces you know like a james bond movie starts and it's just bombs and blowing up and it's got you well this is what jesus did you see fathers were honored fathers were revered and fathers were respected Fathers carried the ultimate authority. And so what sons did was they didn't pursue their own goals, find their own way, you know, pursue their own destiny and desires. Sons had a responsibility to serve their fathers, defend their fathers, and throw every single ounce of their efforts behind their fathers in building the family business. That's what sons did. The fifth commandment said, honor your mother and father. That stood alongside commandments like, do not kill, do not commit adultery. The consequence of breaking any one of those ten commandments were severe. And so these were, this was the time that these guys lived in. And so when the youngest son says to his dad, dad, this is not working for me. Dad, I wish you were dead because then I could have my own stuff and do what I want with it. That was like dropping an atom bomb into that very situation he had everybody's attention the pharisees would have been oh my goodness the tax collectors would have been going oh my jesus had them riveted 
what is going to happen now. Now you see, the Pharisees knew what should happen. Right there and then, the custom demanded that the father take action against that younger son. Right there and then, the custom said, this kid needs to be taken out. Publicly, the father would need to respond by slapping him through the face and pretty much putting him outside of the family. Because unlike today where you can hide kind of family stuff, back then, this would not have been kept secret for long. Too many servants, too many people seeing, too many people, you know, this would have been in the community before anybody knew it. And this was expected. The father needed to act, and he needed to act decisively, and he needed to act quickly. Because if he didn't, this would reflect on him. And so he needed to shame his son, put him out, and preserve his own dignity, and preserve the respect that he had earned in the community. But instead, what does the father do? He says, okay, and he divides the inheritance between the eldest son, who would have had a double portion, and the younger son. And so one-third of the family estate is put in the hands of the younger son. Two-thirds is put in the hands of the eldest son. And they are flabbergasted. But things are about to get worse. Because not long after that, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant land. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That term, got together, literally in the original Greek means that he liquidated all his assets. He pretty much took all those assets and he said, right, I'm converting all of this stuff into cash. So not only was he given the right to his portion of the estate, his third of all the heirlooms, his third of all the, of the property, his third of the, the houses, his third of the furniture, etc. But he then turned around and instead of using his third to keep building the family's wealth, to supporting the family, what he does is he liquidates the lot and he says, I'm out of here. Can you imagine the pain and the heartache that the rest of the family must have felt when all of a sudden land that had been in the family for generations is owned by somebody else. When all of a sudden heirlooms that had been in the family for generations are being sold as trinkets throughout the whole village. This would have cut them deep. Right there, this audience would have been going, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Who's going to put a stop to this reckless young boy's behavior? Because now what was happening is he wasn't just slapping his father and his family through the face. What he was doing was he was effectively saying, I don't even cherish the customs of Moses. Because the customs of Moses were quite clear. The laws of Moses were quite clear. Generations needed to protect their property. They needed to keep it together. They needed to use their property to serve the family for generations to come. And what this young man was not doing was he's saying, not only do I not care about my family, but I don't care about the customs. I don't care about my culture. I don't care about where I've come from. I don't care about my faith. And so what he did is he takes the whole lot, turns it into cash, and he goes into a distant country. And that distant country literally means that he left Israel and he went to a Gentile nation. This was the worst form of shame that anybody could bring on their family and bring into a community. And what he did when he did this is he removed himself only, not only from his father's retaliation, but he put himself in line of the community's retaliation as well. Because the community would now have the obligation and the right to distance him, to cut him off, and to put him out. 
And so this young boy goes from one extreme to the next. This was the ultimate betrayal in any Jewish community. And he said, I don't care. I'm turning my back on my mom, my dad, my family, my culture, and my faith. And so what happens? The Bible tells us that after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. What happens to this young man is what happens even today. When there's money, there are friends. But when the money disappears, so do the friends. He could not go home. He knew that he could not go home because he understood what he had done. And there was a custom. There was a ceremony called the, the ceremony of Kazaza, which meant that if you, as a young man, had squandered your inheritance in a Gentile nation, if you dared to return, if you dared to show your face back in that community, they would do the ceremony. They would take a pot. They would break it in front of you. And that would be a sign that you are literally cut off. And no one would be permitted to associate with you in any way. He knew there was no going back. He knew he had burnt every single one of those bridges. He knew that even if he could reach out to his dad, he would have a problem with the community. And so he was literally a man without a home. No family, no community, no friends. And so what happens? He gets a job looking after pigs. Now, this was not an act of kindness, guys. This was not some citizen going, okay, I've got mercy on you. Let me help you out. People who are swine herders fulfilled the lowest rung of society. This was the lowest of low jobs that anybody could get. In fact, if you looked after pigs, it was not enough to feed you. This may contribute towards a family, but this would not be enough to feed you. And this young man being a Jew, it was almost the ultimate depth of, of, you know, of, of sinking. Because as a Jew, pigs were ceremonially unclean. Which meant that you were, never, you were forbidden to eat it. But you were also forbidden from being in any way associated with any business to do with pigs. And so this spoke of him sinking to the lowest of low depths. Both morally and socially. And he has no way to feed himself because he doesn't earn enough. And he even tries to eat the very things that the pigs are eating. But he can't because he's literally starving to death. But fortunately, the penny starts to drop. And fortunately, the Word of God tells us that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Fortunately, something turns in this boy's heart. Fortunately, the pain of starvation begins to outweigh the fear of the community's wrath that he's likely to face. And he says to himself, what am I doing? 
what is what am i thinking because he thinks to himself the lowest servant in daddy's house has a place to sleep has food to eat and he's treated so significantly better than i am what am i doing if i go if i turn if i turn from the sin if i submit myself to my father if i plead for his forgiveness maybe just maybe he will allow me to become one of his hired servants and so he says i'm going to try and he repents and he heads off home now you got to understand the jewish audience listening to this has not one ounce of compassion for this guy what he has done is despicable the way he has treated his father is just unheard of the way he has treated the community and squandered his living it's just there is nobody that could do anything worse within a community and so they're sitting there going ha good you know when you're watching a movie and the bad guy gets it in the end and you go yes they're going yeah we can't wait to see how the father deals with this guy when he gets him. we can't wait to see we can't wait to hear how the community deals with this guy and they're going ha he deserves it they're feeling not one single ounce of compassion and so he got up and he went to his father <laughs> but while he was still a long way off his father saw him his father was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him bible tells us that while he was a long way off you know what folks the only way a father would have seen the son whilst he was a long way off was if he'd been watching and if he had been waiting day after day after day, watching, waiting, hoping, praying. Father, Lord, send my boy back to me. Lord, send him back to me so that we might be restored. And what happens next, folks, is deeply, deeply significant, which we would not really understand today. But the father's action is deeply significant because in the Hebrew culture, and even in large parts of the Middle East today, it is considered deeply undignified for fathers to run. Fathers didn't run. Well, you know, exactly. <laughs> Children ran. Sometimes women ran. But fathers never ran. Because to run, you'd have to lift your robe, reveal your legs, and that was a deeply undignified thing to do which is probably why we wear long pants when we preach today Andrew. <laughs> and so fathers don't do this and so jesus just kind of once again the whole community the whole audience is going he did what he didn't just kind of like patriarch sat back and if you came groveling they could decide whether or not they were going to be merciful but fathers didn't run this father sees his boy a far way off and he says I'm coming. I'm coming. And you know what he does? The Bible says before the boy even gets to open his mouth, the father is hugging him, loving him, and kissing him. That audience knew exactly what that meant because a kiss in those days spoke of restoration, spoke of forgiveness. When they embraced and they kissed, they were saying, it's all good. I love you. I forgive you. We are restored. The boy hasn't opened his mouth yet. He hasn't had a chance to say, Daddy, I'm sorry. And the Pharisees are going, oh my goodness. What is going on here? This is not the ending we were hoping for. We wanted to see that guy put down. 
Because that young son represents all these tax collectors and sinners that we despise so much. But the father goes, that's not the way I work. The father humbles himself even further. He's prepared to put the shame back on himself. He sees his son and he says, there's no ways the community are getting to him first to do anything to him. I'm getting there first. And he loves him and he hugs him and he says, you're mine. The father puts himself in a very difficult and a poor negotiating position. But he doesn't care because he's just so full of love and he's just so full of joy because his son has returned. And so the son says to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now again we think, great, the dad's just being kind. The dad's putting clothes on him because he's cold. But each of these items had significance at that time. You see, each of these items said something about the father's attitude towards the son. Firstly, the sandals. Only sons wore shoes, not servants, not slaves. They went barefoot. And so he was saying, no ways. You're not coming in as a servant. You're not coming back as a slave. You are my boy. You are my son. Not only are you my son, but you see the robe spoke of honor. Because it literally meant that he took the clothes off his own back and he put them on his son. Not all sons had robes. All sons had sandals, but not all sons had robes. Robes were significant. That's why Joseph, you know, stood out because he had this special robe that his father put on him. And it spoke of honor. And so the father was saying, not only are you my son, but I'm honoring you in my family. And then finally he puts a ring on his finger. You know what the ring represents? It's the way that they would transact. It's the way they would do business because the ring had the family's emblem on it. And so when he put the ring on the son's finger, he said, not only are you a son, not only do you have honor, but I'm trusting you and I'm giving you the authority to transact on behalf of this family. Which means that when he went into town and he put that ring impression onto a parchment or into some clay, he was saying, I have the right and the authority to transact on behalf of the family I represent. This was blowing the audience away. They were like, you have got to be kidding me. Bringing him back, putting sandals on his feet, one thing, but honoring him like that when he brought such shame and then letting him, letting him loose with a family's checkbook. What is this father thinking? And then to make matters even worse, not everybody, not all families had fatted calves. Fatted calves were calves that were set aside. They didn't eat the grass that all the other calves ate. They ate grain. They ate the same food that the families would eat because they wanted them to be really plump. They were set aside for very very special occasions like the the marriage of a firstborn or a visiting king or dignitary that's when you slaughtered the fatted calf and the father says let's have a big party let's have the biggest party you've ever seen in this village because my rebellious son has come home and so again the guys are going tilt 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 this does not compute we don't like the way the story's going. It shouldn't go this way. It's not right. It's not fair. But Jesus has a purpose when he tells the story. 
Because meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. That word safe and sound didn't just mean that he was safe. That he was, it meant that he was fully restored. It meant that he was healthy. It meant that the father has welcomed him back completely. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, who's the eldest son in the story? It's the Pharisees. It's those that had a double portion. Those that understood the law. Those that should have had the heart of God towards the lost. It's the Pharisees that are now kind of going, this is not right. We've been with you all along. How dare you treat the unbelievers, the unsaved, the, the, the pagans, the, the tax collectors in the way. But you see, they'd missed it. Because you see, whilst the, whilst, the, whilst the tax collectors had been prodigals on the outside, and it was clear, the Pharisees were prodigals on the inside. Because they had a greater responsibility. They had the double portion. They were meant to understand the heart of God, but they had it outwardly. But inwardly, there was no intimacy. Inwardly, they were far from God. Inwardly, they were far from the Father. You see, the oldest son should have been the one that stepped into the father's role. When the father passes on one day, the eldest son takes on that patriarchal role. The eldest son should have been to say, Dad, that boy means as much to you as he means to me. I'll go and find him. I'll go and bring him back. I want to see him restored. But the eldest son was happy to see his younger brother just head off. And so was so angry when his dad acts and responds in such a unique way. And so the Pharisees saw right there and then that the elder son, even though they thought, yes, he has a voice of reason. Hopefully the father's going to see it this time. As Jesus was sharing it, they realized that they were as evil, as wrong, as distant from the father as any of the tax collectors and sinners were. And watch how the father responds. He doesn't rebuke the older son, but he responds gently to the older son too. And he says this, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Rather than rebuke him, he comforts him. He kind of says, brother, he says, my son, your brother. This family that he's part of is your family. What we be needing, what we, you and I need to do is we need to be celebrating and become joyful when sinners repent and turn back to the Father. He's saying, what's wrong? Where's your heart? But he doesn't slap him across the face. Again, he entreats him and he says, my boy, this is what a good, good family looks like. This is what it means to belong in this family of ours. It's interesting, thank you, Henry. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell 
the end of this story. He doesn't say what the elder son chooses. And that's because the Pharisees were still deciding for themselves how that story was needing to end. You see, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors saw something in Jesus. They were drawn to him because he was full of life. He was full of courage. He was full of the word. He challenged them, but he didn't judge them. And so they were drawn to him, and therefore they responded to him. And that's why they were being welcomed back into the Father's embrace. But the Pharisees were still hanging to the side. How are we going to treat this? How are we, what are we going to do with this truth? Are we going to persevere and hold on to what we believe is right? Or are we going to submit to the word of the Father? Yesterday we went caving with the boys. Oh, it was a great day, eh, Mike? Hoo-ah! If you missed that as a man, don't miss the next men's event. And in that cave, we were there, we were kind of exploring, kicking rocks around, etc. And then we had communion in the cave itself. It was special. And Fana was sharing his testimony with us. And I just, uh, he was here in the first service, and he, I know he doesn't mind me sharing it, but he shared a testimony. He said, his mother and father, he was born out of wedlock. And his mother and father wanted to get married, but his father was prevented from marrying his mother because they wanted him to marry the chief's daughter. And so they weren't able to get married. And two to three years later, his mother met a wonderful man, got married, and this man brought Fana up as his own son. He loved him, discipled him, fathered him, parented him, and he never knew until his early 20s that this man was not his biological father. And in his early 20s, the story came out. And so as he started kind of investigating, hold on, what's going on here? When he realized the truth, he said this, and this is what struck me so, so much yesterday. He said, it didn't shake me when I realized that my daddy was not my biological father. Because I knew where I belonged. I knew what he had done in my life. I knew the sacrifices that he had made. And even though it was a shock to me to realize that he wasn't my biological father, it didn't shake my faith or my relationship with him. You see, that's what a family that belongs creates friends. And friends, that's what God is doing here. That's what he's building here. He's building a family, a good, good family where everybody belongs. And so I want to wrap up this morning, and I'm going to be very quick, another three to five minutes, and ask you, what are some of the characteristics? And in this parable, I see a few. The first one I see is that characteristics of good, good families have mothers and fathers who are vigilant, compassionate, and sacrificial. And I believe God is calling up mothers and fathers in this place at this time. Mothers and fathers that are saying, let me take the shame. I, I'm not going to have things my way because, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the lives that I can touch by being the one that is vigilantly looking out, the one that is protecting that which is most dear, the one that is rushing towards those that are less secure, that are less, less spiritually mature, and, and helping them, restoring them back into a loving relationship with the Father. I believe God's calling moms and dads up at this time. Secondly, good, good families are characterized by sons and daughters, not slaves and servants. And uh, some people sitting here still feel like slaves and servants, and God's saying, that's not who you are. 
You're a son and you're a daughter. You have not been called here to serve, although we will all serve each other. Because you see, sons and daughters serve from a position of strength, from a position of love, from a position of, it's my duty to serve you because I love you. You're not here because it's your job. You're, here, you're not here because you're a slave. You're here because you're a son and a daughter, and you serve out of that position of strength and that position of love. And that's what God's calling us all to here, sons and daughters, not slaves and servants. Thirdly, good, good families are characterized by siblings who celebrate the successes of others. You see, that elder brother just couldn't do that. He was so full of himself and full of his own issues that when it came to celebrating the successes of others, he just could not do it. He could not see past the fact that it was unfair. And friends, I'm seeing a very, very dangerous spirit in the world today as well where we are so concerned about how we are doing relative to other people rather than just saying, God, what is your call, your purpose and destiny for me? And we are so concerned that, you know, I'm out of university for five years and how are my peers doing? Wow, some of them are a little further ahead. Ah, instead of they're further ahead. Wonderful. Fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad to see the favor of God in your life. Because a family that's able to celebrate the successes of their siblings is one that's going to have a family that is a good, good family where everybody feels they can belong. And finally, friends, good, good families have intimate relationships. You see, first and foremost, intimate with a father. You see, that young son, it was clear. On Facebook, he would have been unfriending the father, all right? There's, there's no relationship. It's just like, he's not my friend. And so there can't be intimacy. But the eldest son, if he was honest about his relationship with the father, it would probably be complicated. <laughs> right? Because, you know, I'm there. We're friends. I'm around. But my heart is not with you. Because if my heart was with you, I'd celebrate the way you celebrate, Dad. I'd reach out the way you reach out, Dad. And so God's calling us. He's calling us. If we're outside of the circle, He's calling us in. And if we're in the circle but we're not quite intimate, He's calling us upward. He's saying, I want to be intimate with you. I want you to have my heart because I want you to be, I want intimate relationships with my sons and my daughters. And so friends, I believe God is calling us all this morning. God is putting in place a good, good family, and He's inviting every single one of us in this room to be part of it. Some of us, He's calling to step up as mothers and fathers. All of us, He's calling to step up as sons and daughters. He's challenging us in our attitude towards each other, to walk in love, to celebrate those successes and not allow the enemy to bring any form of comparison or insecurity. And finally, friends, he's calling us to live daily in an intimate relationship with him. And then for that to transcend into an intimate relationship with each other. And so, folks, because God is a good, good father, we are forgiven. Because God is a good, good father, we are whole. 
because God is a good, good father, we belong so that we can live out our destiny in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we say, Father, we desire to belong. We desire to be part of a good, good family. We desire for you to have your way in our lives. And Father, we desire to submit ourselves to you completely. If you're sitting here this morning and God's been challenging you, I'm not sure which way. It could be any one of a number of different places. Maybe he's challenging you to step up because he's saying, I want you to live beyond yourself. I want you to start living more to win the hearts of others. He's calling you to be a father and he's calling you to be a mother in this place. Maybe you're sitting here and God's challenging you and he's saying, listen, that competitive attitude where you haven't been able to celebrate the successes of others, I want to deal with that this morning. In a sense, that's the prodigal issue in your heart that I want to deal with this morning. And I want you to bring that and submit that to me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize that either you're identifying with the younger son where you've just been out of relationship with God and God's saying today's the day. Or maybe you're relating to the older son where you realize you've been here but not truly here because it's been complicated. And you're saying, Father, today I want you to make it less complicated because, Lord, I want to submit my life to you fully. And I want to walk in intimacy with you. And so this morning, if you're here and you're feeling God challenging you with regards to wanting the best and loving the best, right where you are, just surrender it to the Lord. If you're saying, I've been struggling to think the best and just celebrate with the successes of others because, God, I've been wondering, you know, when my turn's coming then I want you just to release that to Jesus now. Father, we choose to release that right now, Lord. Right now, Father, we give that to you. Lord Jesus, replace that with a heart of love, compassion, a true heart of joy that says, yes, Lord, I want to celebrate those victories. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you like, you're identifying with that younger boy, that younger son. And God's saying, time to step back in. Time to come home. Or if you're here and you, you, you can identify with that older son where you know that you're home, but you're not fully at one with the Father. Then where you are, would you just quickly just raise your hand and just show me if that's you this morning? Thank you, I see that hand over there. Anybody else here, you're just saying, I can identify with that youngest son and I can or that older son, and I, Lord, today's the day. Is there anybody here today that's saying, that's me? Hallelujah. Finally, if God's calling you to be a mother or a father, I'd like you just to stand to your feet this morning. 
If you feel God saying, time to step up, then I'd like you to stand because we're going to pray and we're going to just submit ourselves to the Lord. In fact, if any of those three resonated in your heart, whether mother and father, whether it's to kind of just release selfishness and competitiveness, or whether you identify with what the, the, the younger son or the older one, will you just stand to your feet? Because we just God knows why you're standing. And we're going to do that this morning. We're just going to say, Father, have your way. Lord Jesus, we just come to you this morning. We say, Daddy, you're building a good, good family. And Father, we want to be part of that family. Thank you for the moms and dads. Anoint them. Set them apart, Father. Give them strength and courage. We thank you for those running back to you and saying, Lord Jesus, I want an intimate relationship with you. And we thank you for those bold enough to say, Father, right now, I give any selfishness to you. And I say, Lord, I'm going to celebrate when my siblings prosper. Before you sit down, if you are here, if you're here and you, this is one of the first times, or maybe you've done this before, but you're saying, I'm here because I'm standing because of that intimate relationship I'm desiring with Jesus. Will you just quickly step out of your seat? Because I want to give you a big hug as a father on behalf of Jesus this morning. Could you just step out? Let's just do that quickly because we want to wrap up. If you raised your hand or if, you st if that's kind of why you're standing, just please come to the front because I want to give you a big hug this morning. You don't want to do that? That's okay. Come to me after the service and I'll give you a big hug anyway. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks, Pastor Carol. Can we give Dorian, excuse me, can we give Dorian a hand? Thank you, Dorian. That was such a, such a great word. Church, God is, God is really that good. You take a, make a slight turn towards him and he comes running. He's the kind of God who will forsake all to have you as his son and his daughter. And he did that in Jesus. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Church, as you go today, I'm going to invite you to call your dad, if he's not here with you, to spend some time with him and um, in addition, grow in your relationship with your heavenly father. Learn to let him love you. Amen.